talking today about remaining in the Lord, it reminded me of a story that I heard uh, not too long ago. I had two old-timers, when they first started courting, uh, which most of our young folks don't know what that word means, um, when they first started courting, um, they would get in the truck, and an old boy drove a, a 57 Chevrolet, and on date night, boy, he'd clean that thing up like new money, and it, She'd get in the truck and he'd open the door for her and she'd get in, he'd get in and she'd slide all the way up next to him. You remember what it was like when you first, you first start dating somebody and it, it, oh, I, I, puppy love, it's good. And, and when they got, they got married and they'd been married about 55 years and they were riding down the truck, down the road one day in a new truck and, and she looked over and, and she said, how long has it been since, since I sat right next to you? I'm all the way over here by myself now. And he looked at it and he said, sweetheart, he said, I'm still sitting in the same seat. I hadn't moved. Remaining in the Lord, when we think about what it means to remain in the Lord, the weight of us remaining in the Lord isn't on God. God has given us all that God has going, is going to give us this side of glory. At, at salvation, at the cross of Jesus, you got all of him. You got unbridled attention and affection from the Lord pointed at you. At the cross, your faith was, was signed, sealed, and delivered. Now the apostle Paul is going to say, we're being saved. It's a process that we're going to walk through, meaning that, that we didn't get all of the wisdom that we needed at salvation, that we got to grow in this. The apostle Paul also tells the church, you've got to grow up in your faith. The Hebrew writer tells the church that to get off the milk, get off that baby stuff, and get onto the hard things of Scripture. So there's a process, but, but us remaining in the Lord isn't on God. We remain in the Lord. That's on us. Today, I want us to look in the Old Testament at, at Daniel chapter 3. Now, now, remember what was going on in the book of Daniel. The, the children of Israel had been taken into exile because they were pagan sinners. They had walked away from the one true God, and, and the Lord had, had warned them. He, had, he told them, hey, you guys got to turn back to me. God, God's saying, hey, repent and, and come after me. Re, I, God, God's... God's kind of selfish in this way. God doesn't want you serving any other gods. He, he, wants, he wants himself to be your attention and your love. God, God wants your affection to be on him and, and not some other God. So he, he's told them, he said, if you don't come follow after me and if you don't worship me, he, he said, I'm going to turn you over. I'm going to give you over to your sin. You don't want any part of me. I'm eventually going to, that's eventually what's going to happen. And so the Babylonians come in, led by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you're a VeggieTale person, you know him as King Nebuchadnezzar, right? So King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and he is a force to be reckoned with. The Babylonians were second only to the Romans in how they ruled. They were bad news. The, the Babylonians were, were serious in how they would come in, and this is about how they would operate. They would, they would surround your city that they wanted. If they couldn't, just kick the door in and, and come kill all of you. They would surround the city, and they would cut off any trade and embargo. You're like, well, that's not a bad thing. They're just sitting outside. We're safe inside. Most of the cities didn't have running water. And by, I mean running water, I mean a creek running through it. They didn't have crops planted in the city. All of that was outside the walls. 
where there was room to grow and vegetation. So, so the Babylonians would come in, and if you had water coming into your city, they'd shut it off. They'd, they'd dam it up. They, they would destroy your vegetation, or they, they'd just eat it. And here you are withering away inside your city to eventually you're too weak or too many of you have died. Then they kick the door in. Anybody that is of wisdom, any, anybody they see and think, hey, he's can, he can make something of himself, they would keep. Everyone else they would kill. Everyone else. So this had just happened to the children of Israel. This is the backdrop of where we pick up today. Um, so they had come into Israel. They had taken the Israelites captive. They moved them up into Babylonia, into Babylon. And then the, they start looking through the people that they, that they left alive, and they, they find a couple of men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in these three men... They, they see some intelligence. They see some wisdom beyond their years. Now, now these Hebrews that they have found serve the one true God, and they, they do it faultlessly. They don't, don't back down. They, they, they've got a backbone. They don't, they don't weather back and forth. They're strong in their faith. And, and it's a miracle. It's a work of God that God elevated these men to a, a place of authority. And yet that's what happened. These Three Hebrews are now over providences in the, the area of Babylon, and they're ruling. But Nebuchadnezzar is a wicked man who his heart beats after his own passions. Nebuchadnezzar said, we've got to have people worshiping me. And that's always dangerous when you desire people. When you desire attention and affection from other people, that's dangerous. So he wants these people to worship him. And so he creates this massive golden image. And, and so he, then he, he hires this amazing quartet that that's, we'll get into in just a little bit. And, and at the sound of this, these musical instruments strumming or blowing or playing, all across the land, when you heard this noise, no matter what you were doing, you were to drop everything, fall prostrate on the floor, and you worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar. So no matter where you are, you have to know where that thing is. And, and so that's, that's where we find our story today. Starting in verse 8 of Daniel chapter 3, it says, Therefore at the time of a certain Chaldean came forward to maliciously accuse the Jews, and he declared to the king Nebuchadnezzar, he says, O king, live forever. He says, You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship, or else he'll be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you, and they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was furious, and he was enraged. He commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought near, so they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered, and, and he said to them, Is this true? O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image that I have set up. He says, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the, the trigon, the harp, and the bagpipes, and every kind of, of music, you fall down and you worship the image that I have made well and good. He says, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast 
into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16 says, And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and he said to the king, he said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he'll deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship your golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it's usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men who were bounded in their cloaks, their tunics, and their hats, and other garments, they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace father we pray over your word this morning that you would use your word to guide our hearts our mind and our path god let your spirit fall in this place today and and for those who need jesus may they find him today for those who need to join our church may they have the desire to do that for those who need to surrender to ministry surrender to serving or surrender for reconciliation that they would do that as well we lay this moment down at your feet in christ's name i pray amen what does it mean to remain in the lord remain in the lord you remember the day you got saved if you've been transformed by jesus i'm talking about you were ready to, to kick hell's gates down storm it with water pistols like you were on fire for the lord you were ready and but somewhere along the way as life begins to wear on us and we begin to carry the weight of the world it's heavy anybody today you can admit today that the weight of this world is heavy anybody here with me today we have in church all right it's heavy, and, and we try to handle things, and we try to master things, although Jesus said, hey, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He says, cast your cares, but we don't want to cast it. We want to hang on to it, because remember, at the deep root of man is the great desire to be God, and we want to handle our situation. We want to hold it, but remaining in the Lord requires us to be empty-handed. If we're going to remain in the Lord, we must do so empty Handed. Remaining in the Lord requires devotion. We find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're faithful to the Lord. These dudes love Jesus. Now, their situation is not ideal. Their situation is not perfect. They're not in their homeland. They are having to learn other languages. They do not speak the language of the Babylonians. And yet, they're here. They're having to conform. They're having to, to take on customs. And yet, all the while, they're being faithful to the Lord. This isn't an easy task. This isn't a vacation. They mourn because their family was executed back in Israel. It's not a good season for these fellows. And yet in their misery, in their tragedy, God's at work. They're devoted to the Lord in spite of their situation. They don't wait and think, well, i just going to work itself out. God doesn't want me to go through bad things. No, God, God's never said you're not going to go through bad things. In fact, if you've been a believer longer than 10 minutes, you realize that, that it's hard walking with Jesus. 
It's difficult walking with Jesus. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It's a wonderful thing. I, I never have regretted following Christ, but it's not easy. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's difficult. That's, that's why, in fact, Jesus will tell us in John, he tells us that, that the road that leads to destruction is wide. It's wide. And he tells us that, and he says the, the, the road that leads to everlasting life. When he talks about it, he talks about it being a narrow road. And not only is it a narrow road, but he says there's a gate. You've got to walk through the gate of Christ to find the narrow road. He said few will find it. Remaining in the Lord requires devotion. It's more than just a blanket devotion. It requires devotion to the Lord. It requires devotion to the Word. Let me ask you something. How often do you read your Bible? How often do you read your Bible? I do a lot of counseling. In fact, several of you have sat across from my desk and we've talked. And, and, and some of you will testify. One of the first questions I ask when I'm meeting with people and I'm talking, we're praying together, that one of the first questions I ask them is, is how often do you read the Word? Because I have people that come into my office and they sit down. And, and, and it's not just our church. This has been going on for 10 years. That's 10 years of my ministry. People come in, you know, I just I don't hear from the Lord. I'm struggling in my faith. I, I, just, I'm, I feel like I'm not getting traction. I'm just spinning. I, I don't have congruency with the Lord. And, and so I ask him, I'm like, well, where, what are you reading in the God's Word? Where are you at in the, the Bible? Well, well I, don't, I don't really read the, the Bible. I found your problem. You're fixed. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. You're like, well, it's hard. It is. It's a tough text. If you think the first time you read this thing cover to cover, you're going to master it, you're wrong. When I first got saved, I've told many of you this story. I first got saved, and, and, I, and I asked some people, like, well, I, I'm a believer now because, I, listen, I don't have a church background. Like, I didn't know. I got saved, and they were like, hey, did you hear about Daniel Elisdy? And I'm like, what? And then I went to the children's department. They showed me the big ark of no. I didn't know any of that. So I'm like, I'm like what, what does it mean to follow? And like, well, you just got to read the Bible. Okay. They have a Bible. So I, I, well, I told my parents that I need a Bible. They bought me this little pocket edition. I've still got it in my office. I carry it with me often. We go on vacation. And remember, they told me to read the Bible. So what do you, I'm, I'm reading the Bible. We're going down to the beach. I got the Bible. I'm just reading. My parents are like, you don't have to read it all in one weekend. I'm like, but I'm going to. They're like, I just, I just reading. And I didn't have a clue. Like, you get into Exodus and Leviticus as a young Christian? Brother, you ain't, you ain't ready for it. You ain't ready. I'm reading it. I'm, I'm an Hebrew guy, an Hebrew guy. And I'm, I'm just like, Whoa. and I, I get to the New Testament. It gets a, it gets a lot. I start reading about Jesus. And I, like, I've heard about Jesus. I'm like, I'm tracking with him. And all of a sudden, the, the four Gospels, and they're all very similar. I didn't know they were synoptic. I didn't know what that word meant yet. And I'm just reading, and I'm reading, and I'm reading. I get all the way to, to Revelation. Amen. I'm like, woo, man, I got it now. I didn't have a clue. I was no better at the end of that than I was at the beginning. All I did was waste four days. That's all I did. I had four days in a migraine. That's all I had. Because <laughs> I was reading the Bible to finish, thinking I was going to have a trophy on the end, when I should have been reading the Bible to change me. It's not about me being able to say, oh, look what I read. But it's about me saying, I'm ingesting the Word that we must have a devotion to what God has said. I love the Bible. It's unique. You know the Bible's authority hinges on the Bible? The Bible doesn't mean, need me to validate the Bible. Like this book doesn't mean, if, if you're like, well, I'm not a Christian, well, then, then, then you don't need me to tell you about this book. 
This book doesn't have authority because I grant it authority. This book has authority because thus has said the Lord. You don't need me to validate it. God has validated it. I can't add anything to it because God's already said it. Oh boy, one time told me, we were arguing about some, some theology and he said, he said, well, you know, God's word says it and I believe it and that settles it. My friend, it doesn't matter if you believe it. If God's word said it, it settles it. Doesn't need your validation, but we must devote ourselves to the word. But we also must devote ourselves to prayer. And I'm not talking about praying over a piece of chicken before you devour it over at lunchtime. Like that, that was my introductory to prayer growing up. We prayed over dinner, and I don't know why, because we were pagan. But we'd pray, oh, it was just, we lived in Alabama, and that's just what, what you do. Like we, we prayed, we, we all grew up, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for his food. By his hands we are fed. Thank you, Lord, for daily bread. Unless grandmama told you it's hot, let's eat it. And this, God's great, God's good. Amen. Right? That was my introduction to prayer. That was how we prayed. If it was good, it was food you really wanted. Now, if it was like Brussels sprouts, I, I drug that prayer out for days. When we start talking about devotion to prayer, we're not asking you to have some superficial prayer over a meal. Because let me ask you, are you meaning what you pray? Are you really asking the Lord to bless this food, that it be nourishment? Are you recognizing that apart from God's providence, you wouldn't have that food? That if God didn't enable you to work, that you would be hungry? Like, is that the thought you're taking when you pray over your food? I got several of our church folks who, who they tell me, hey, hey, I pray all the way to work. And I pray for you on the way to work because I know the road you drive, right? Our devotion to prayer, the, the New Testament gives us a, a kind of a different picture of prayer in that it's a call to pray without ceasing. Prayer is a conversation, not a wish list. I'll say that again. Prayer is a conversation, not a wish list. I, I know, brothers, that the only time they want me to pray for them is when they got a big test coming up. I'm like, you've waited too long to start praying. Like, we don't come to God, God, i got to throw a Hail Mary here, or we can score. No. I, in all of my years of school and seminary and all that, I've never prayed for an A. Like, I just refuse. Like, I, I'm not going to somehow try to overcome my laziness and lack of preparation for God's deity. Like, I'm not going to say, God, I hadn't studied I ain't looked at this material. I haven't been faithful to what you called me to do. I've been lazy. I, I haven't taken the time. But yet, somehow, I need you to work here. I don't do that. I refuse. I will say, God, I need to retain all that, that I've learned. I need to be able to regurgitate everything I've possessed. Give me mental... Like, I never pray for the A. I don't. Because God's not a genie that I can rub some bottle and he's going to pop out of. Prayer is a conversation and that it requires... Listen... If I go to talk to Morgan and I don't ever give Morgan a chance to, to respond to me, that's not a conversation. I'm dictating to her what I want. I'm not having a conversation with her. Prayer's a conversation in that sometimes it requires you to be silent and to listen. To listen. And you know what? I'm just going to step here. This isn't in my notes. It's free. Sometimes God's response is no. Can, can, can we say that? Sometimes God's response is no. We think, well, I've prayed about it, so I'm good. No. 
If God's not leading you there, don't do it. And, and I, listen, and we'll, uh, listen I'm, I'm close to sin. Y'all got to know that about me. I'll pray like this. I'll say, God, if it's not your will, shut the doors. That's not how we pray. That's not what the Bible says, pray. God, if it's not, shut the door. No. We seek and see if it's the Lord's will, not if sin will open the door for us. If we begin to pray, God, if it's, if it's not you, shut it down. We, we've already gone three steps too far. We don't pray that way. We, we pray before we take the step. We don't ask God to shut it down in process. We, long before we go, in fact, the Old Testament, Joshua, when he was trying to decide about the battle of Jericho, it says that he had to, to pray and he had to meditate over the steps he was going to take. He didn't just say, hey, if we get there and don't win, this wasn't God's will. No, it costs too much. We should have the same heart when we pray that we're not going to pray and act as if we're going to do it our way and if God shuts it down, that's his will. We're going to pray and seek the Lord's will on the front end so that we know we have God's blessing as we go. It's a devotion to the word. It's a, a devotion to prayer, but also it's a, a devotion to the church. What I love about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here is they didn't lose their faith because they're in exile. They didn't lose their faith because things were hard. They were devoted to the faith community of the Hebrews. They, they weren't just out there trying to get through. They, they weren't out there going, but you know, the Babylonians eat pork. I saw them cooking that barbecue the other day and it smelled good. Since we're here, went in Rome, right? Because most of us, man, we, they, they just said, hey, we got bacon cooking. We'd have, been, we'd have been taken off that robe, boy. We'd have been not Hebrew anymore. These brothers held through all, all of the impurities of the Babylonians they held because they were connected to their faith family. For us to be devoted today, you have to be connected to the church. Now, I, always, I say that, I, have, I get an email or something. You know, God's Word doesn't call you that you've got to go to church. And you're right, it doesn't. Although the gospel does call us, or Acts will anyway, that we don't forsake the gathering of God's people. It means when we're here, you should be here. Here's where we've gone in our culture. Here's where we've gone in our culture. I woke up this morning, and I shouldn't have these thoughts. Like, this is where God needs to work in my heart. I woke up this morning, probably like you did, to just some crazy thunder and lightning. About 3 o'clock this morning, rattled the windows in our house. Woke up, and I heard the thunder. And you know what my first thought was? I shouldn't have these thoughts. My first thought was, Church attendance will be low. I can't lie about that. My first thought when I heard the clap of thunder, church attendance be low. Church attendance be low. We, we're so wishy-washy in our commitment to the church. We don't want to serve. We've got a, such a small pocket of servers here. Man, they do everything. We've got 10% of our church that does 100% of the work. We're, our devotion is so lax. If we come to church, we come to church. And if we don't, we don't. Is that evidence of what the Lord's doing in you? And listen, I know some of, I know, I know sicknesses come up. I know people get ill. I know you've got families. I know some of you work. I know that. But I also know some of us do things that aren't church. And, and again, I know, who, I know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the ones who are here Memorial Day weekend. Right? You're like, brother, you should preach this next Sunday. Right? We, but we could all stand to be more devoted. Why is it? Why is it we have to beg people to serve? Last year was my first year on nominating committee at this church, and it was a nightmare because we had to beg people. 
to beg people to serve. Will you please? If you don't do it, it's going to fall through. We need you to fill the gap. We've become so lackadaisical in our church, our affection for the church that we, and if we're here, we're here. If we're not, we're not. That type of devotion doesn't give you the courage to stand for your faith. What are you doing? What are you teaching if that's how devoted you are? Remaining requires devotion, but it also demands obedience. Remaining in the Lord demands obedience. Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've got some, they've got some clout in, in the Babylonian kingdom here, and they've got some notoriety. In fact, they've got a position now. Now, it's funny how God works. Now you've got Hebrews in charge of Babylonians. God's elevated them. They now have standing. They have a title. They have a position. They could have very easily said, hey, when, when we hear that noise, man, we, just, we, we ain't going to go all the way. We're just going to kind of Tebow it. You know what I'm saying? We, that's what we're going to do. We ain't going to commit to the whole thing because we, we love Jesus, but we, we got to fit in here, so we're going to just kind of compromise a little bit. And, and they didn't. They didn't compromise. They saw what, what was going on as sin, and they didn't back down from it. They looked it in the face and they said, hey, we're not going to bow because we believe in, in God Almighty. We believe there's coming a Messiah. We believe that, that Jesus is going to redeem us. And therefore, we're going to be obedient. They didn't cave to pressure. Man, if I could impress one thing on you, man, get a backbone. Get a backbone. Stand for the things of God. And... Sometimes standing for the things of God means you have to stand against evil. Well, nobody wants to do that. I hear all the time, well, well, you know, that's them, that ain't me. If they're believers, that is you. God's called you to care for the brother. He's called you to keep the brother accountable. It is you. We remain obedient, submitting your life to the Lord. We submit to the Lord with our life. That's what we're giving up at salvation. At salvation, we're declaring this life is no longer mine to live. In fact, the Apostle Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, he, he says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So, so we're, we're submitting this life, saying, Lord, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my earthly, fleshly desires. I'm submitting to you. I'm obeying you, all of you, all of the countenance of the Lord. We're submitting to the Lord so that you can use me for your glory. And when you begin to submit and become obedient, listen, this is a beautiful thing. When you begin to submit and you begin to lay down your life, your faith will overcome your fears. Your faith will overcome your fears. You don't think these brothers' knees were shaking when, when, that, when, when the, the, the snitch came up? You know what we, we used to say when I was in high school? Snitches get stitches, right? This guy comes up and he's tattling. He said, hey, you got some brothers over there. They're not bowing. These men that you've appointed, he apparently didn't get the job. These men that you appointed over here, they're, they're not bowing. And so you know, man, as, as, they, as King Nebuchadnezzar said, go get them. And they went and they said, hey, King wants you. Boy, that stomach dropped. And they were scared. They're probably talking. They were speaking to Hebrew, so you wouldn't understand what they were saying. They probably said, what are we doing? What are we going to do when we get up here? What if he kills us? What are we going to do? 
He gets up there before the king, and King Nebuchadnezzar gives him an opportunity. I think, I think King, king Nebuchadnezzar really liked these fellows. The fact that he gave them another opportunity, he, he, he was pulling for them to do what he considered the right thing. And notice how it kind of unfolded in Scripture. He says, is this true? And he doesn't even really give them time to answer because he says, here's what we're going to do. Is this true? And he doesn't give them time to answer. He says, when you hear this music, we, we hear it. it's going to play again. Everybody on three, one, two, three. And they... And, these boys don't even give them time to start playing the instruments again and they interrupt and they say, oh king, it's not for us to answer. It's not for us to answer. He says, we will not bow to you. We will not bow to your gods or your image. Let me, in, in 400, 500 BC, well, a little further back than that, if you were to tell the king no, what, you, you just signed, sealed, delivered your head on a platter. Like, you're done. You're done. The gall of these men, the gall of these men to say, it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter. We're not bowing. We serve God and God alone. They didn't have fear. Their faith had overcome it. They had seen God work. They had been praying to the Lord. They knew what His Word was. They were devoted to one another in the study of God's Word. They didn't care. They weren't allowing their fear to dictate their action. They were allowing their faith to dictate their action. And they stood on the promise of God. And they said, we're not going to bow. We're not going to bow. Remaining in the Lord requires kingdom focus requires kingdom focus they had a mindset and this, this is most of us are lacking here because I know I am they had the faith look at verse 17 we go back to 16 Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king O king Nebuchadnezzar we have no need to answer you in this matter if this be so our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And if he'll deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18 is the greatest display of faith that man will ever know. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They had a kingdom focus. They had a kingdom focus, meaning they knew this world wasn't their home. They knew this world wasn't their home. They, they, they knew that, hey, this life is short, and we've seen our, our family executed back in Israel, and now we're here, and it's pivotal, it's, it's dense moment here, but they didn't cave. They didn't say, well, we've got to live. What about, what about our future? What about what we want to do? What about our position? What about our home? What about the kids? What, they didn't matter. It didn't matter. They had a kingdom focus. They weren't concerned with what little pain the king could influence upon them. They believed that God would show up and do something, but they also said, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't show up, even if he doesn't put the fire out, even if he doesn't protect us, we're not going to bow. I've heard guys preach this text, and they say, when a fire shows up in your life, God's going to show up. His showing up may be delivering you to glory. 
God doesn't always step in and put the fire out. God doesn't always protect you from the flame. Many Israelites died in the fiery furnace. You hear me today? Many of them died. God didn't show up every time that thing got lit. He didn't. You say, well, why not? Because sometimes God's deliverance for us when we've prayed with people who, who were sick and they were dying and we want, to, we want to see them healed and we've seen them. Man, we, we've seen so many of them healed and, and yet so, sometimes, and I've been there, I've been holding hands with, 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 with my mom and I held hands with my father and I, I wept over these people. God healed them. Sometimes his healing, his deliverance is glory. He doesn't always walk in and save the day like we want him to. His will is above ours. And when we have a kingdom focus, we notice that. This world's not our home, but these brothers also realize that this life is not their greatest accomplishment. This life is not their greatest accomplishment. So they tell King Nebuchadnezzar, they tell him, hey, doesn't matter. If God shows up and delivers us, he'll deliver us from the fire and he'll deliver us from you. But if he doesn't, let it be known. I love that phrase. Let it be known that we stood. There, can't, there won't be anything else better said about your life than if someone says at your funeral or a memorial, they were devoted to the Lord. They were devoted to the Lord. Buckle up. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and they said to the king, True, O king. And he said, But I see four men unbound walking around in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego servants of the Most High God to come out. And, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out from the fire and the stirrups and the perfects and the governors and the king's counselors, they gathered together and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of the men. And the hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and the smell of fire wasn't even on them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any god except their own god. It's a great story of God's deliverance. This king thought, well, I'll show you. You lip off to me, you're going to the fire. They threw him in and that old boy said, hey, how many did we put in here? Like he lost count. Like he lost count. How many? I, well, I don't know. We just threw them all in there. We threw three in there, but it looks like there's four. And one of them's glowing. One of them's glowing. Now, imagine hearing, that king hearing that. You just got told by three Hebrews that their God's going to show up and deliver them, but if he don't, it's okay because they'll go be with him. And then to say, hey, we put them in there, and it looks like they're having a good time. That's going to change the afternoon. Notice, notice King Nebuchadnezzar's 
reaction. I love it. Before, he said, who is this God or what gods are going to show up and deliver you? But when he sees them unscathed, when he sees that their hat and their hair doesn't even smell like smoke, he says, these men are from God most high. Brother had a religious experience here. That brother saw the one true God. Remaining in the Lord brought deliverance for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as it will for you. But don't hear me say God's going to show up in your fire. Don't hear me say God's going to send you that miracle that you long for because he might not. God displayed his glory here. God showed his glory. Why, why did God show up and save Shadrach, Meshach? It wasn't for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He didn't step in and go, hey, I, I've got to show up these guys here so that they feel better about themselves. No. And they understood that. They knew that if God shows up and does something miraculous here, it's not for our benefit, but it's so that the world will see his glory. Is your life displaying God's glory? When you remain in the Lord, God's glory is shown. And this life may call for your deliverance one day. You may be the one sick. You may be the one fixing to lose his or her life for their faith. Ten children got on a bus yesterday in Egypt. They didn't know that was the end. They didn't know that was the last mile they were going to ride. When the bus stopped and, and Oxus got on with them, they didn't know that was it. We wish the story would be different. We wish to say, hey, them brothers got up there and went to go to killing them kids, and every gun they had jammed. Every knife they had was dull. We wish that was the story, but it's not. God delivered those children in a way in which they will never see hurt again. He delivered those children by taking them out of this evil, sinful world. And they're now with him in glory. Evil exists, but God's deliverance is always there. But it may not look like what you think it's going to look like. It may not look like the superhero that you desire. But God's always working. And it doesn't mean he's incompetent. It doesn't mean he's not able. He's displaying his glory. Today, have you been delivered from sin? Can you say today with all affirmation, I belong to Jesus? Is your faith of that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who looked in the eyes of death, who looked in the eyes of immense persecution and said, even so, we will worship the Lord? Is that, what, is that your heart? Don't get caught up in some religious Alabama Baptist experience. It's not about church attendance. It's not about you thinking that you're spiritual. It's about devotion and obedience to the Lord. If you've never trusted Christ, and trusting Christ means laying down your authority and picking up His. If you've never done that, my friend, you're not saved. And I'm not trying to coerce you, because if I can talk you into it, somebody else can talk you out of it. I'm asking you to do a spiritual inventory today. And if you've never trusted Christ, 
We want you to come today. Father, we pray over our time of invitation today. Lord, that you would do a work here. Father, for some who need to come experience the wonderful fruit of salvation, that you would, you would pierce their heart and you would convict them to, to accept you as salvation today. For, for some today who says, hey, my faith isn't enough. My, I'm struggling. I've got this baby infant faith and I need to develop. May they find room on an altar today to devote themselves to you. For those who are struggling, may they seek refuge in the cross today. May they quit trying and trying and trying. And may they realize that they're trying but not trusting. And may they lay down their struggles and pick up your yoke, which you've promised to us is easy and light. Yeah, we pray over this moment of, of benediction and this moment of invitation that you would use it for your glory. It's in the name of Christ we ask. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand and sing with us this morning?